Good morning. Greetings to each of you again in Jesus' name this morning. Well, I'm excited this morning. I preached those other three messages so that I could preach this one. I asked Mark this morning if he knew what the title of the message was this morning. And uh, he didn't remember. Well, I had to confess to him that I had to go back and look too to make sure I got the right one that I told you about two months ago. But the title of the message this morning is The Attraction of Christian Spirituality. So I began this series of messages by asking two questions. One of them was, what kind of a church do we want to be? And then the second one was, what kind of a church will we be? Well, this morning it's time for another question. And it's this. What kind of a church does God want us to be? Because you see, it doesn't matter what we think a church should look like. What really matters is what God thinks a church should look like. I believe this morning that God has given us the tools to be the kind of church that He wants us to be. We started out talking about building the church and we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 this morning. Our text actually begins at the last part of chapter 2, which is where we also went. Uh, in chapter 3, we talked about the building of God, verses 8 through 16. And in chapter 2, we looked at individual spirituality in the second message. But there's a link in between those two, between chapter 2 and chapter 3, and that's what I want to look at this morning. And I'm going to start in chapter 2, start reading at verse 12, and I'm going to read through verse 9 of chapter 3. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. But for who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And I, brethren, would not speak unto you as could not speak unto you as spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it. Neither yet are ye now able. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believe? Even as the Lord gave to every man, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, 
and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. So Paul, in chapter 2, lays out this thing of, of individual spirituality. And then he talks about that he has to speak to them as into carnal, because they were not yet at a place where they could handle some of the deeper things that he wanted to tell them. And then he moves into talking about the church. He talks about himself and Apollos and their ministry to the Corinthians. And then he begins to talk about the church, the building of God. In verses 12 through 16, he talks about what it means to be spiritual. He says, we've not received the spirit of the world, we've received the spirit of God. And then he concludes that in verse 16 by saying, we have the mind of Christ. So being spiritual, receiving the Spirit of God, is receiving the mind of Christ. But then in verses 1-4 through four of chapter 3, he contrasts that. He says, but here's what it looks like to be carnal. He says there's carnality among you. And it's evidenced by the divisions that are happening in the congregation, in your group. You see, they were saying, I'm of Paul, and I'm of Apollos. And he's saying that those differences that were between them, because of their carnality, those differences that were between them, the differences of the way that they came to the Lord, were creating divisions among them because of their carnality. And you see, carnality, he's saying, divides. In your diversity, carnality divides. So if there's carnality among us, then our differences will divide us. But he goes on to say more. He says, I planted and Apollos watered. He said there were two different things happening there. One was planting, one was watering. There's diversity. But let's look at verse 7. So then, neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth. You see what that is? That's humility. And if the diversity, the differences of among, among us, we understand through the eyes of humility, then it's not divisive. Because the focus is on God who giveth the increase. The significant thing is not how I came to the Lord, even though that's important. But rather, it's the focus is on God who giveth the increase. So we were talking about the mind of Christ. I was uh, referencing the mind of Christ, and, and I laid out from Philippians 2 and Hebrews chapter 12 what the progression was. So Christ started out with humility, and then obedience, and obedience brought joy. And joy is a fruit of the Spirit. So 
So as we look here in verse 7, we see humility. And because of that humility, obedience, they watered, they planted, they watered, and God gave the increase. And you see, that's joy. And then in verse 8, now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. See, when, when humility and we understand that God is the one who gives the increase and the focus is on God, then that diversity brings growth. It brings oneness and growth. And then verse 9, for we are labors together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. So spirituality in diversity brings oneness. And in spiritual oneness, God gives increase. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. See, it's, it's, in that, it's in that spiritual environment, truly spiritual environment, that our diversity can come together to bring oneness and growth in the life of the church. We're talking about the attraction of Christian spirituality. I was talking to a man recently. <clears throat> he was an unbeliever. And it was really, he, he talked to me about his past and he talked to me about his father and his grandfather and his observation of them. And he said, my grandfather was a religious man. And he said, he really had something. It was something that was really real in his life. And he said, I watched my dad all of his life do things to try to be that or to put on a front that he was doing that. And he said, he never was what my grandfather was. And this man gave up on Christianity. And so he and I had some areas of disagreement. We had some areas of disagreement about where fulfillment is found in life and about how to come to that place. But we agreed about one thing. And that was that in every accountable human heart, there is a void that seeks to be filled. And he's told me multiple times through that conversation, he said, I envy you because I can tell that you have found an answer to that void. You see, he had a longing in his own heart for that void to be filled. And he admitted that his void was not filled. But you see, the difference was between me and him that he believed that it was an answer and I believed that it was the answer. There's only one answer to the void in the human heart. What are people longing for? What is that void? People are longing for wholeness. They're longing to be truly whole as they were created to be. To be complete. 
I'd like to bring out three aspects of that this morning. One of them is a longing for the fruit of the Spirit. We are created in the image of God, given the life of God, to have kinship with God and experience the fruit of the Spirit of God. That's how Adam was created. Let's turn to Galatians chapter 5. For all, oh, sorry, starting at verse 14. Galatians chapter 5, verse 14. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other so that they cannot do the things that they that ye would but if ye be led by the spirit of God by the spirit ye are not under the law now the works of the law are manifest which are these adultery fornication uncleanness lasciviousness idolatry witchcraft hatred variance emulations wrath strife seditions heresies envyings murders drunkenness revelings and such like of the which I tell you before, as I have also told ye in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So it says, starting out there in verse 14, it says that all the law is fulfilled in this, in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So there's a fulfillment of what God put forth in the law. And he goes on to talk about the battle that's, that's happening between the flesh and the spirit. And we were talking about that in Sunday school class that battle between the flesh and the spirit and the reality of that battle. I lost my place here. Oh, verse 16 it says, This I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So it's saying that if our, if our lives are following the spirit, that we're not going to fulfill what the flesh wants to do but rather we're going to fulfill what the Spirit wants us to do. And then it goes on in verse 22 then to say what the fruit of that Spirit is. I thought it was, was interesting as I looked at these. You know, when I think about the fruit of the Spirit, I often think about the first three. Love, joy, and peace. And I went to the love chapter in Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 13. And as I look down through the love chapter of all the things that love is and the things that it does, it pretty much covers everything below peace in relation to long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, 
faith. And so, I'm going to focus this morning on those first three. Love, joy, and peace. And I, as, I, as I pondered, what, what does that mean? Uh, what do those things mean? What are they really? What's the fundamental um, nature of each one of these fruits of the Spirit? These three first ones. Well, love. Love as, as Christ is exemplified through sacrifice. Self-sacrificing love. So what it means by the fruit of the Spirit here is a self-sacrificing love. And one of the things that happens with self-sacrificing love is that the motivation is not myself. The motivation is the good of someone else. And why is that important? That's important because you will not trust me unless you believe that my best, that I have your best interests at heart. If you believe that I'm just trying to, to please me, if I'm just trying to fulfill my interests, then you're not going to completely trust me. And you see, God wants us to completely trust Him. And so He made a sacrifice that showed us that His interest was us. His interest was in our good so that we could fully trust Him. And God wants us to be exemplifying that same kind of love. He wants that same fruit to be coming out of us. Self-sacrificing love. The next one was a difficult one for me. What really is joy? We say joy, happiness is not joy. Happiness is deeper than joy. But what really is joy? Maybe you have more you could add to this. But I believe that joy is the ability to see the goodness of God at work in a fallen world. That's the very foundation of joy. To be able to see the goodness of God through the circumstances, through the difficulties of life. Maybe there's more we could add to, you could add to that. The ability to see that God, even through the difficult circumstances, has worked out things in my life that are for my good. And that I can trust Him through this difficult circumstance. And I can thank Him through this difficult circumstance. And I can praise Him through this difficult circumstance because I know that He's working out my good. Peace. The condition of knowing that who I am and where I am going is right. It's rightness. You know, if we don't fully believe that where we are is right and where we're going is right, there will always be doubt and fear that are part of our existence. But when we come to know God and we experience true peace because of that knowledge, we know that it's right. Like one of the significant things to me about after the Holy Spirit came upon me was just knowing that it was right. And there was a peace there that I'd never experienced before.
Now, if we look back at verses 19 through 21, we see the deeds of the flesh. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulation, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, and so on. And all these things have one thing in common. They're self-serving. And the very exact opposite of what self-sacrificing love does, when we see, when, when people see self-serving lives, there's automatically a breakdown of trust. Because they recognize that everything that that person is doing, they're doing for their benefit. So if they do something nice for me, then that means somehow they think it's going to serve them. So they're not really doing it for me. They're doing it for themselves. And we know that when we see those deeds of the flesh, we see that self-serving attitude. That's why the works of the flesh destroy human relationships because they're self-serving. Trust-breaking. And that's the world that we live in. We live in a world that is driven by the deeds of the flesh. But brothers and sisters, the church of Jesus Christ has something different to offer through humility and obedience. We find joy. We find peace. We experience love. There's a second thing that every heart is longing for, and that's a place in community. Every heart longs to have a place in community. When God created man before the fall, He said there was one thing that wasn't good. He said it is not good that man should be alone. And He instituted marriage. But it wasn't just about marriage. That was the beginning of human community. That was the foundation in the home is the foundation of human community. And after God had established the first home, He said it was very good. God designed the family to be the final touch of completion to His creation. And the family unit was to be the place where each person began life in the security of community. But sadly, there was a fall. And in our present generation, think about how divorce and adultery and other forms of sin have shattered what was meant to be a beginning and a safe haven for the people in a society, in every society, and in our society. And people in our world today are longing for a place and community. Do you and I value the community aspect of the church? 
We're going to come back to that a little bit more. The other thing that people are longing for is transparency. The third thing. They're longing to know people who are the same throughout. They're longing to experience relationships where what I see on the surface is also what's inside. Kind of that whole idea of a kind act that is self-serving. Our world is full of that. It's full of people who are doing nice things to serve themselves, to better their position, to better their opportunities. And that goes down deep into just the, the very small uh, aspects of relationships in our world. And many of the people in our world, are their lives are completely fractured because they don't think they have anybody that they can trust except themselves. And their hearts are longing for people they could come to know that they could just be really real with. And they would be okay. And it would be for their good. I know a man that is very, very interested in education and learning. He thinks it's very, very important. But he's also kind of cynical. But someone close to him said that he has two relationships that he is very real in. One of those relationships is a man with an eighth grade education. The other relationship is a man with a high school that's a high school dropout. But he thinks education is really, really important. But in a lot of his educated relationships, he's very cynical. And I believe the reason is because he longs to have those real relationships. And those people he's been able to develop real relationships with that he trusts, that they don't have a hidden agenda. These three things, a need for wholeness of spirit, a need for community, and transparency of life. People are looking for these things. They're longing for these things. And you might find some aspects of these in other human institu institutions. Um, what is the pull of societies and clubs and things that are happening in our society? What's community? It's meaning. It's place to belong. Those are things that, that are attractive about those types of organizations. But you won't find all three until you find a spiritual church. Only in the church of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of Christ, do all three come together. What is the attraction of Christian spirituality? Jesus and Caesar met in the arena and Jesus won. The kingdom of Caesar is a dim memory of the past, but the kingdom of Jesus Christ stands today. Why? A quote credited to Napoleon gives us the answer. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and myself founded empires. 
For on what did we rest the creations of our genius? Upon sheer force. Jesus Christ alone founded His empire upon love. And at this hour, millions of men will die for Him. The love of Christ. Other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. The attraction of Christian spirituality is a community that is bonded together by the love of Christ. A place where human relationships are pure and free from pretense. A place of belonging, security, and peace. What is the answer to the longing of every human heart? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Come be part of my body, my community. Find the rest your soul so longs for. You see, when someone attends a new church as a seeker, Deep inside, they're not wanting to stay the same. That's why they're a seeker. They're wanting to be different. They're wanting to find an answer for the cry of their heart. What kind of a church does God want us to be? I believe God wants us to be a family that He can send His lost children to. A family who shares His love. Who is passionate about living out His truth and are at peace among themselves. Do we want to give people the only true answer to their longing? <clears throat> you see, our Anabaptist heritage is not perfect. But do we take for granted the stability that it has brought into our lives? And brothers and sisters, I'll probably say this again, but I talk to so many people that grew up in American society and their lives are so fragile. And it's because they have no one. They have nothing. If something happens to them, that's it. I'm friends with a man. I actually work with him. have worked with him off and on over the past couple of years. And his wife passed away just recently. And you know, us people that work with him are about the only family that he has. About the only place that he can fall back on for his grief. And he would come to work and he would just break down in tears at work through his wife's passing because he had nowhere else to turn. Just little acts of kindness just meant so much to him through that time because he realized that this, these people actually care about me.
the New Testament teaches spiritual community, the body of Christ. And I believe that we're in danger of losing that understanding of the Gospel. If we're not careful. If we don't believe that it's important to make the sacrifices that it takes to be part of the Christian community, what does that mean? I think we're falling for an individualistic gospel. And there's a lot of churches that have tried that. And it's no good news at all. It leaves people in a place of emptiness. Just like that man. He professes to be a Christian, but he has no church community at all. The world around us is longing for a community where love, joy, and peace abound. But you know, as I thought about this, I thought, you know what? So we, we think about those people out there and we want to help them. But if we can't be that among ourselves, we will not be what we need to be to attract them. So one thing that we always have to be aware of as we see those people out there and we want to help them is that we have to be living that here to truly be attractive. And the only way that we can do that is to each individually have a vibrant spiritual walk with the Lord. To be a disciple of Him, which means to follow Him. And to live a life of humility and obedience and joy. May the Lord bless us as a congregation as we seek to be the kind of disciples that Jesus wants us to be.